Are you in need of a passport in a hurry? Look no further. Global Passport Express is here to help. With our efficient and reliable services, we can process your passport in as quick as seven days. That's right, just seven days. And that's not all. We specialize in visas for many countries, including popular destinations like China, India, and so much more. Whether you're planning a family vacation, a business trip, or your next mission trip, Global Passport Express is your one-stop solution for all your passport and visa needs. So why wait? Reach out to us today at 210-375-7525 to speak with one of our friendly and knowledgeable representatives. They will guide you through the process and answer any questions you may have. You can also visit our website at www.globalpassportexpress.com. For more information and to start your application online, it's quick, easy, and convenient. Mention this ad and receive 10% off any of our services. Don't let time constraints hold you back from your travel dreams. Trust Global Passport Express to deliver your passport fast, hassle-free, and with a smile. Global Passport Express, your passport and visa experts. Get ready to explore the world. Welcome to the Taking the Land Podcast. This is your home for daily audio sermons from Christian Fellowship Ministries. Oh, what a great privilege and honor to be here. Thank you, Pastor Greg Mitchell. Thank you, uh, conference body. Uh, we uh, so enjoy being here. Praise God. We're going to have a good night tonight. I believe God's going to help us. Pastor Campbell preached on um, boxing. I'm preaching on running. Hallelujah. So we've got a bit of a theme going on here. So we're going to have a good time. Let's have a look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Just a couple of verses. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. In the year 2000, uh, the Olympic Games was in the city that I was uh, pastoring uh, in Sydney, Australia. And as you know, an Olympic uh, hosting doesn't come around that often. It's only ever happened in Australia twice, once in 1956 in Melbourne. Uh, my grandfather went, and then in 2000, I had the privilege of being there. And uh, I was in a crowd, and there's a shot here um, that I'll put up on the screen of the Olympic Stadium. Had 110,000 people uh, in the stadium. Uh, it, was, it was an incredible uh, situation. Well, it will come soon, amen. Uh, people from all over planet Earth, there it is. People from all over planet Earth had gathered in one spot, celebrating achievement of very talented people. It was very, very moving. Excellence. Uh, when people won gold medals, there was, you know, the sound of trumpets and announcing their name and medal ceremonies and honouring people. It was incredibly moving. 110,000 people uh, in that Sydney stadium. And if you look on the top left there, you can see me. <laughs> so uh, it was a great honour to be a part of that. And many of us know that in the Olympics, the, the final, many times the final event or the pinnacle of track events is the marathon. 
is the marathon, is the endurance race, is the long distance race. And so our text, I believe, talks about this. It talks about a race with endurance. It's an endurance race. It's a long distance. And it talks of a stadium or a grandstand full of people. And the genesis of this message, I was in prayer maybe three weeks ago. I was thinking about this conference and the uh, privilege of being able to share. And as I was praying, I got a little bit of a snapshot in my mind and my spirit. And it was like I was running and it was no doubt in a race, what do we see in Hebrews 12? And I just got over the crest of a hill. If you've been running a long time, you know that it's taxing, there's fatigue and it's challenging. But I'd just come over the crest of a hill and I could see the finish line. I could see the stadium. And I knew that we could just run down the hill, the big gates open of the stadium, you run in and you do one final lap. One last lap and it's finished. It's over and it's, I felt that this is where we're at prophetically. That we're at right now in the timing and the economy of God. That we're running a race, it's an endurance race. But as I saw, it's like I just crested a hill and I saw the stadium and I knew we get there and there's just one final Lap. And that's what I want to preach on tonight. Let's have a look at Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 from the NLT version. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiated and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregards its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honour besides God's throne. One final lap I want to minister for a few minutes. And let's first of all consider the vision. The vision. There's an American endurance swimmer Florence May Chadwick. She passed away in 1995. She was born in 1918. She was an American swimmer known for her endurance swimming. Actually, she was the first woman to swing, swim the English Channel across and back. Very successful swimmer, very successful woman. Uh, on the 4th of July, 1951, uh, she attempted to swim from uh, Catalina Island to the California coast. The challenge was not so much the distance, it said, it was the bone-chilling water of the Pacific. To complicate matters, when she chose to do it, as she's nearing the coast, a fog uh, begins to envelop the whole area making it impossible for her to see land. She had swum for 15 hours in the water. She was within half a mile of the coast and she gave up. She stopped. She didn't finish the course. Later on, as she gets to the shore and she's no doubt picked up by a support boat brought in, a reporter asked her about that and she said, look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land... I might have made it. I might have made it. 
She tried it again, actually, a period of time later. Fog came in again, but she knew the land was close, and that time she finished. Do you know, I was thinking about the fog that comes in, that obscures our vision, that makes it hard to see the finish line or to see the author of our faith. You know, for all of us, we do have fogs that roll in, that impact our vision. Perhaps it could be the fog of weariness. If you're in any endurance race, you know that at different moments in that race, uh, something uh, hits you uh, and just weariness comes upon you. Muscles and bones, everything of of you is just crying out in weariness. It says in Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not grow weary in doing good. That word weary is exhausted or even a loss of spirit. You know, no doubt, most people at the beginning of any race have plenty of energy. They burst out of the, uh, the blocks, they're, they're on their way, and it's, you know, weariness is not a problem in the beginning. It's not an issue when we first start out, but there are points in the endurance race that weariness hits us, fatigue sets in. We can't really see where we've begun necessarily, so far behind, and we can't see where we're finishing. Some go through midlife crises like this, don't they? We could have a spiritual midlife crisis and we begin to question the sacrifices we made in the beginning, the decisions that we made, the priorities that we had, maybe even involved in world evangelism. Some churches, no doubt, and perhaps uh, major centres have begun in world evangelism, but if you talk to uh, your fellow leader, you know that there's the the price of financial cost. It costs a lot to reach the world. World evangelism is is incredibly expensive, and sometimes people can get weary in that. The price of personnel, many times you send out great workers or your best workers, Sometimes there's a gap in your own area, your church or your nation. You've sent out some of your best. It could be the price of personnel. It could be the price of risk or even loss because you never know. It may work and it may not. What we do is risky. Can you say amen? We venture with people, personnel and large amounts of money and maybe the enthusiasm at the beginning, but maybe you're in the midsection, the mid phase. And there could be the fog of weariness. could be the fog of distraction. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress talks about bypass meadows. You're on the track, you're on the road, but you're seeing that there's another track just over here and it looks easier. Not as many obstacles. A more pleasant path. You think, well, it's running parallel to the true path. Many others on it, the many in the church world are on that path. It's kind of like this other runner. She was a world-class runner. She was uh, living in New York and she wanted to be a part of a a distance run and she was invited to uh, go and so she drove out of the city. She tried to find the city where or the town where it was starting. She got lost. She stopped at a gas station. She asked for some directions and the person sent her off down this way. She got there and she arrived in the car park and there wasn't as many cars as she thought and what, but there was no doubt a race and so she, she said, here am I and they didn't have any record of her name but they were happy that she was there and they signed her up. They put a number on her and off she went. She 
she defeated everybody easily, even all the men. However, the envelope at the end didn't contain the money she thought. And as she begins to ask questions, she realises, I ran in the total wrong race. (laughs) The wrong course. I missed my chance of winning a valuable prize. God forbid that's you and I. The fog of distraction, perhaps the fog of indecision. Some people think, well, yes, I'll run today. You wake up tomorrow, maybe not. My daughter tried to get me to run. She says, Dad, let's get up early and run. <laughs> yes, today, but maybe not tomorrow. Can you say amen? <laughs> you think, well, I'll finish. Well, maybe I won't. I'll pay the price. No, maybe it's too high. It's kind of like Peter, isn't it? Lord, you can count on me. I'll even die with you. It wasn't long. I don't even know him. <laughs> Who is he? Jesus? Who? He denies Christ with an oath and a curse. People, we're in the fog of indecision, a double-minded person. We could come to conference and get stirred on a Thursday night by the video, by the testimonies. Yeah, we even go and tell our pastor. But Monday comes after conference and we're back in indecision. You know, there's a needed clarity in our text. Verse 2, it says, we do this. How would he keep in the race? Keeping our eyes on Jesus. No doubt in any long distance event, serving God, amen, running the race for many years. We must keep our eyes on the prize, on the right thing. Because we struggle with loss, loss of clarity. What is your eyes on tonight? No doubt this conference, we've been stirred by powerful preaching. Amen. Refocus on Jesus Christ. In our text, looking unto Christ, the NLT says our champion. Why? Because Jesus ran an inspiring race. He continued to new towns, new cities. The race set before him for the gospel, for evangelism, for world evangelism. David Livingston made this statement, God only had one son and he made him a missionary. You know, the Bible record about this in Mark 138, Jesus replied and says, I must go to other towns as well. I will preach to them too. This is why I come. Luke 4 verse 43, and he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. Acts 23 verse 11, the Lord appeared to Paul, be encouraged Paul, just as you've been a witness for me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. So look at this biblical narrative, I will preach, I must preach, you must preach in other towns, in other cities, in other nations too. From the towns and villages of Israel to even the capitals of the world to Rome. Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Hallelujah, we were stirred last night. Where do we fit in the prophetic scheme of things? You know, no doubt we have fellowship churches. We've heard in 139 nations, uh, uh, 3,600 plus churches. But you know, there's still 
maybe up to 96 nations still without a fellowship church. There's a, uh, a picture up here we'll put up on the screen that gives a list of some of these nations. These are still to come. Nations that we don't have a fellowship church in to this date. I must preach, I will preach. You must preach in other towns and other nations and other villages as well. Listen, we thank God we're not the only ones in Christendom. And I believe there are others doing missionary work. However, we're foolish if we think we can uh, just say, well, we'll leave it to them. We need to take the gospel mandate seriously for ourselves. Can I say, there are many of these, un, let's bring them up again. We need to get a photo of that unreached nations. Many of them may be why we're not there, because they've been difficult. There's challenges, there's political challenges, there's financial challenges. They're not the easy nations to penetrate. But could I be bold? and say that perhaps these very places could still be some of the greatest harvest field for the kingdom of God and our fellowship yet to come. Thank you for that. You know, the beginning of 2022, I had one of our, I would say, successful pastors come up to me and he spoke about a nation where we didn't have a fellowship church. He spoke to me about his feeling of burden to go there a strongly Islamic nation, a nation that seemingly harboured Osama bin Laden, the nation of Pakistan. And he come and talk to me about the stirring. I feel stirred of God. I feel God has spoken to me to go uh, to that nation, untouched for our fellowship. And uh, I'm listening to him. Uh, but I, I, I wondered, am I foolish even considering this? He's married to my niece too. I've got to answer to, his, to their, their parents, you know. Are they going to be safe? How is it going to work? I rang Pastor Payne, Pastor Greg. What are you thinking? Am I, are we out of our mind? And they just said, no, let's go ahead. So we planted a couple into Pakistan. Islamabad, Pakistan. And it was interesting, you know, Brother Steve Lassie's here with us now. He had to just come out a few weeks ago. He's got some visa issues to, and he wants to go back. But can I say, on December the 10th, one month ago, there's a picture of Sunday morning service. Islamabad, Pakistan. He had 141 people and 21 saved just a few weeks ago. That's Sunday morning. But wait, let's have a look at Sunday night, I got a video now. That's Sunday night. 252 people. Oh, I'm telling you, I hope your heart's stirred for some unreached nations. You know, there are people here that desperately need to hear the gospel like you and I have heard. Look at all the kids, hallelujah. You know, he's here now, but guess what? We don't just build a church. We also disciple men. I've got a picture here of men, Pakistani men, 
that are his disciples running the church while he's away. Oh, come on. Oh, let us run with endurance the race. Praise God. I want to consider quickly the race then. Paul asked the powerful question of the Galatian churches and no doubt to you and I as well in Galatians 5, 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So no doubt in the same theme as Hebrews, the apostle Paul is speaking concerning a church perhaps a fellowship of churches, a body of believer that started running well. And he said they were hindered. The Greek word there, uh, hindered actually, literally means hindered by breaking up the road. Their road, their track, their path has been broken up, perhaps messed up, upset, threatened. In 2012, the Tour de France uh, cycling race, someone threw a box of tacks all across the road where the cyclists were to come. That's what we're talking about. 30 riders got punches, including the defending champion, Cadell Evans. Somebody messed up the road. You know, there are people that can do that deliberately and there are people that do it unintentionally, but the Bible says you, you started to run But who has hindered you? Who's broken up your road? Who's messed up your path? So number one, it could be other people. And and Paul is alluding to that. Amen. Uh, And we see also in Galatians 3 verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. You know, when I first got saved back in 1981, I remember sharing, you know, obviously we share the good news uh, that we're saved. Uh, Amen. I shared it with my father and I said, Dad, I got saved. And he goes, don't ever go to that church again. (laughs) Guess what? After 30 years, my dad saved going to that church. (laughs) And when he passed away, guess where his funeral was at? The potter's house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hi, I'm Mike Ashcraft, pastor currently in Van Nuys, California. Pastor, man of God, your wife left everything to follow you in your dream. Are you going to leave her with nothing? The Bible says he who doesn't provide for his own is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. As men of God, we're ready to stand before God due to tragedy at any moment's notice. But what about our families? What happens to them if we were to die? there's an easy financial solution so that they don't have to go through poverty or destitution. Call me today, 310-403-6471. That's 310-403-6471. Anyway, I had another person come up to me and he was some other Christian going to another church and he said, well, you might be excited now, but you just wait. It's all just a flash in the pan, this stuff. Well, I beg to differ. I think I'm more excited for things of God now than ever. You know, in the, uh, we've got a, an Olympic feel here. In 2004, the Summer Olympics in Greece, the first Brazilian man who was hoping to win the gold medal in the marathon, De Lima, his name was, 
He was at the 35 kilometer mark or 22 mile mark. He was leading 15 seconds and a spectator named Neil Horan, an Irish priest, jumped out and grabbed him and tackled him and hindered his race. Later on, you know, thankfully he still finished the race. Other people rested, got the, but he lost time. He came third, but somebody messed his race up. An Irish priest. This man says, we love the Catholics. They're the best converts when they get saved. Can you say amen? So, Haran says, I wasn't doing this as a prank. I was doing it to spread the gospel and prepare people for the second coming. He's a nut. Religious loony. You know, the Catholic Church defrocked him. Thank God. Amen. Kicked him out. So people can deliberately mess up your path, but then there's people that don't do it deliberately. They're not malicious. You know, it's like Jesus' path to the cross. He tells the story. And then Peter, his closest man, says, not so, Lord. Far be it from you that this should happen. Jesus said, get behind thee, Satan. So Peter, even in his carnality, can be damaging. Someone in their carnality, they're basically a good person, but in that moment of flesh and carnality, he's speaking words that could seek to mess up somebody's path. Do you know, every missionary, I dare say, that's ever been announced... Some well-meaning brother or sister will come and tell you a horror story about your city and nation you're going to. Mark it down. So it could be others, it could be ourselves. The Bible talks about weights and sins, a weight, a burden, a mass. That's why, thank God, we have altar, we have conference. We can deal with things all this week. We've heard about uh, weights that we need to put down, attitudes towards others, added towards, to, towards leadership, maybe authority, even God. It could be that you're always speaking negatively. You're like the 10 spies and you, you're always in unbelief and you've got to deal with that and leave that at the altar. It could be sins, missing the mark, separating us from a holy God. We, we've heard about it this week. I'm amazed... That so many seems Christians hold on to grudges and don't forgive. Don't wait to the last days or weeks of your life to get things right. Why don't you just get them right? So are you allowing somebody to hinder your race or sabotage your race? You know, we're then looking at the crowd of witnesses in Hebrews 24 verse 1. It says, since we're surrounded by such a large crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, the Living Bible says, amen, watching us from the grandstands. The message says all the pioneers who blazed the way and all the veterans cheering us on. William says, a vast crowd of spectators in the grandstands. Albert Barnes says, no doubt, he's referring to the ancient games. The word picture in Hebrews 12 is about the ancient games. And he says, it's specifically in chapter 12, is referring back to chapter 11, the heroes of faith. When it says that witnesses, it's where we get the word martyr. Those that have laid down their life. 
But he looks back to the chapter 11 as it talks about the heroes of faith of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and and on and on the list goes. And he talks about these people, no doubt, are in the grandstands, no doubt in the great stadium, and they're looking upon those that are now running. I dare say it's not only those from the Old Testament, heroes of faith, I'd say New Testament people would be there as well. Those that have run their race, Paul says, I've run my race, I've finished my course. No doubt he's a part of that great cloud of witness. No doubt more recently in our fellowship, our own beloved founder, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, is looking on at us at the race that we're running. Pastor Glenn Clark, Ron Bennett, other heroes of faith, a multitude of others that have gone on before us. Can you say amen? In the heavenly bleachers and stands, wanting to cheer us on. Pastor Greg said about my city that I was living in, you think about the fellowship had its beginning, say, in 1970, but by 1981, 11 years after it began here, my city, on the other side of the world, not even a capital city, Perth was the capital, another regional city has a fellowship church. That's incredible. In 11 years, I'm always astounded. I thank God that in 1978, Pastor Mitchell sent Ron and Susie to Australia. I spoke to Ron and Susie Burrow the other day and I said, you know, the church that you originally started in 1978, Pastor Mitchell sent you, has now grown as a large conference church, 83 national churches in Australia, 318 international churches, 401 churches, 31 nations. Wow. Thank God. Thank God in those early days that people went I'm eternally thankful. I'm telling you in my city, there was not a vibrant gospel witness in my city at all. My wife and I, we would not be here. No, I think we'd possibly not even be saved. A great crowd of witnesses that have passed heroes of faith, but in this great auditorium, I think there are also witnesses, those that have laid down their life for Christ. In this place, And no doubt we have announcements on tonight, tomorrow, and we'll cheer them on. We'll pray for them. We'll have their back. But tonight's World Evangelism Night, and I begin to think about our missionaries from 1978 to no doubt some more tonight. Everyone that has left their home country for another place. I thank God for our missionary, missionary wives. I think tonight, if you don't mind, I would like all former missionaries and all present missionaries to stand up because we'd like to thank them very much and give them honour. Have a look around. We thank you for your effort, your service and your sacrifice. Hallelujah. Those online, those online, thank you as well that are watching. In this great body, thousands of people, we appreciate you. 
How many know we could all do with some appreciation and encouragement? Again, Hebrews 12 verse 1, let us run with the endurance the race set before us. Let's then conclude the time. Our conference theme is foundations. What is foundations? A base on which something stands, an underlying principle, that which something is founded. The very first year that our first overseas fellowship church was started, 1978, Pastor Mitchell spoke at the Four Square Conference or Convention. Many of us have heard that. I want to just reiterate some of these words as he calls our early fellowship to the world. He said, God is waiting for a people that would take seriously the commission and urgently begin to understand we do not have forever to preach this gospel. We do not have all the time that we want. And to occupy till he comes does not mean, beloved, that we are giving the mandate to continue as long as we want. This will never change. But there's an urgency to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a clear-cut commission, and that commission is go ye into the world. There is an urgency of a time factor concerning the gospel of Christ. If you read this book, you will find through its pages, there's an urgency that you find the oil that flows from the golden candlestick, beloved, flows from the almond-shaped leaves. There's a hastening involving the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a hastening rod that is a vindication of all that God's doing. There's an acceleration of the gospel of the Son of God. In the last days, the characterization of the last days is a quick work will the Lord make upon the earth. There is an urgency about what you and I do and we must be about our Father's business uh, and our commission is into all the world, not to simply our location uh, I mean, or our neighbourhood uh, but all the, all the surrounding areas. We are calling this evening, beloved, to go into all the world. Can you say Amen. This involves every ethnic group. I wish you could feel what I feel when I went into Western Australia, a nation that speaks English. Thank God for that. In Australia, probably one of the greatest opportunities on the face of earth today. In Western Australia, I went to city after city. I saw the great stronghold cities of Perth. I saw cities, beloved, of 25, 35,000 without a single full gospel church in it. No vibrant witness for the Son of God and my heart leapt within me, and my heart throbbed as I realized, oh God, we have men and women, Lord, that could reach those cities. We have men and women that could be challenged. Oh, Spirit of God, breathe upon the church and let us know the urgency of the hour is into the, all the world. We do not have forever to preach this gospel. Time is running out. This is a foundational statement that set us on a course and I stand here tonight and no doubt many stand here tonight impacted and saved because of that vision and because of that foundation. What am I asking for? What am I looking for tonight concerning your race, your church, your fellowship, your wing of the fellowship? Uh, number one, I would say it's a refocus. Recognise the position you're in the race. I spoke about the swimmer that couldn't see the land. The fog came in, couldn't understand, began to give up. And as I'm sitting there in the prayer room and I catch a vision, 
Here we are just coming over a hill. And there it is. Just run down the path into the great stadium. And one final lap. Refocus a fresh call. If there's one final lap, what do you do? You pull out all stops. You notice that people at the end, they can see it. And their eyes light up. New adrenaline comes. And they get a new energy, another wind. And they think, I'm going to finish well. I'm talking about sending. I'm talking about giving tonight. Then I'm also speaking about a renewed grace. Asking the Spirit of God to breathe afresh upon us and our churches. You're in the last lap. Consider that. Some of you have done endurance. You step up the pace. You go all out. Why are you going to leave something in the tank? It's just one more lap. You don't celebrate too early. And you run to win. Like Elijah of old, the Spirit of God came upon him. And he ran. And he outran the chariot. As I'm bringing it to a close, I want to say time is running out. You know, our Prime Minister, former Prime Minister in Australia, during the COVID crisis, he made a statement, it's not a race. Well, he's wrong. It is a race. People's lives are at stake. There's a lot of things going on. Jesus felt it was a race. He said, I must preach the gospel in other cities because the night's coming when no one can work. And as you're in that last lap, ponder entering the stadium. Names are called out. Maybe your name's called out. And the masses of witnesses of faith, those that have laid down their life before, are there. What do you do? It's time to step up, isn't it? It's time to look for new cities, new nations. It's time to reach some of the untouched nations. It's time to give like we haven't given before. You know, in closing... In the Mexico Olympics, I believe it was 1968, there was a uh, runner from Tanzania, John Stevens Akwabi. There's a picture of him. I've got a picture of him running. This is when he entered the Olympic Stadium for the last time. John had been affected by the high altitude there. He'd succumbed to cramps, slowed his progress. It was painful. But what's even worse than that, he got in a, a melee, a group of runners, jockeying for position. He was knocked to the ground, fell to the ground, gashed his knees and caused a dislocation. He smashed his shoulder against the pavement. Most observers, seeing his injury, assumed that he would pull out. He received some brief medical help along the side, but he refused to pull out. 18 of 75 people had pulled out, but he says, I'm not going to pull out. Others, no doubt, went on. The, 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 the winner won the race in the Olympic Stadium. Actually, they had the medal presentation and they were basically all going home and he started entering the stadium. John Stephen Akwagbi, he entered after two hours after everybody else had finished. He ran one final lap. The news went around the stadium. People thought, wow, what's going on? They were intrigued. They began to cheer this man. 
Here's a man that's obviously beaten and bruised. There's a video of you can see him. He's barely able to, but he keeps on going. The last picture of him is crossing the finish line. You see him, there he is. They asked him after the race, why didn't you give up? You had no chance of winning. He said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.7, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. What about you? What about your church? What about your wing of the fellowship? What about your own life? Sometimes it's not so important how you start, it's how you finish. How are we going to finish? We're coming over the hill. We can look down. We can begin to see the finish line prophetically. What are you going to do? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.